Welcome to the Weimar podcast of Government Policy, Real Estate, and You. I'm Liz Recchia, Government Affairs Director for Weimar, and here's your quick update for today. VA loans. In June, Congress passed and the President signed a bill eliminating the VA loan cap. The elimination of the cap was part of the Blue Water Navy Vietnam Veterans Act, H.R. 299. NAR estimates the VA Home Loan Guarantee Program has raised the veteran home ownership rate to over 75%. At one point last summer, it was proposed to raise the VA loan fees by 0.5% for non-disabled vets in order to pay for some of the provisions of the bill. NAR sent a letter to the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee basically stating the value of the program to veteran home ownership and the need for VA loan fees to be based on the specific loan risk, not increased to pay for other programs. You can read NAR's letter at www.wemargad.org. As it is, the law increases the VA loan fee for some loans by 0.15 to 0.30%. The increase in rates is designed to pay for the increased medical benefits contained in H.R. 299. The bill makes it possible for about 90,000 former service members to receive health care benefits for specific diseases presumed to be a result of military service and exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam between 1962 and 1975 and at the demilitarized zone in Korea between 1967 and 1971. In addition, the bill extends eligibility for health care, vocational training, and monetary allowances to children with spina bifida who have at least one qualifying military parent who served in Thailand between 1962 and 1975. There are specific military service dates, so read the bill to find out if you or a veteran you know qualifies for the expanded health benefits. You may read the bill at www.wemargad.org. Members of the Arizona delegation who signed on to this bill as a co-sponsor were Senator McSally, Senator Sinema, Representative Gallego, Representative O'Halloran, Representative Grijalva, and Representative Gosar. Recently, we have had questions regarding VA loan denials in some areas, specifically Sun City. It turns out that under VA underwriting guidelines, association rent restrictions must not limit rentals to less than a year. An example is some of the small associations in Sun City who have their own HOA. Some of these HOAs have limited rentals to no longer than six months. If you have a client who owns a unit in one of these associations or a buyer wanting to purchase, first review the association governing documents to see if the rental limitations meet VA requirements. You can read more at www.wemargad.org. FHA News On April 18, 2019, HUD released Mortgagee Letter 19-06, detailing changes in down payment assistance from government entities for FHA borrowers. Basically, it seems there have been instances of government entities not providing adequate documentation for FHA down payment assistance and other issues making an already risky loan riskier. Particularly important to HUD is making sure we don't end up with taxpayers on the hook for large numbers of loans going bad because borrowers were never able to repay the loan. Down Payment Assistance Programs, DPA, have been around for quite a while, and we began to see local, state, and Indian communities ramp up their programs as a result of the crash several years ago. Typically, these Down Payment Assistance Programs require a repayment and charge interest, 
unless the borrower resides in the house, using it as their primary residence for a particular number of years. Here are some of the core issues for HUD. They're losing money. They're losing money on reverse mortgages. They're losing money on forward or purchase money mortgages and everything in between, according to HUD's 2018 annual report to Congress. Most distressing is the difference in default rates between FHA borrows with and without DPA funding. And even more distressing is the big spike in DPA FHA borrowers default rate in 2017 and 2018 to pre-crash and early crash rates with government entity DPA programs having the largest number of default borrowers. And that is the reality HUD was attempting to address with Mortgagee Letter 19-06. But almost instantly, CBC Mortgage Agency, owned and operated by the Cedar Band of Paiutes, filed a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for Utah. Their complaint is that under the new rules, their Chinua Fund will be hampered in its ability to provide DPA funds and CBC Mortgage will be hampered in making money as this program is a central part of their lending business. Their concern seems to be that the new rules require the government entity to provide DPA funds to borrowers who live within the jurisdiction of that government entity. So for the Paiutes, it means their DPA program would only be available to those purchasing and residing on the Paiute Reservation. In response to the lawsuit filing, HUD extended the effective time for its new rules from April 18, 2019 to July 23, 2019, in Mortgagee Letter 2019-07. Currently, anyone can submit an application for Chenoa Fund DPA funds. According to reports, the Utah court issued an injunction last week which prevents HUD from implementing these requirements. And this brings us to the real issue with DPA funds and the people who use them because they need them. Is this really the best answer? Providing a method for people who don't have the financial ability to save 3.5% of the purchase price to purchase with a built-in silent second. Is it really in their best interest to purchase a house they are by definition over-leveraged on the moment they close escrow? Is it really in their best interest to overburden them with debt? In my 21 plus years of being a realtor, I saw the personal devastation of DPA programs starting in the 1990s. In the 1990s, DPAs were all a rage. We had a recession, people lost their houses to short sales and foreclosures, prices started going back up, inventory was low, and the government wanted to make it easier for low-income borrowers to become homeowners. DPA programs at the local level, funded by CBDG, also known as block grant funds, flourished. By 2000 to 2003, these homeowners were becoming distressed homeowners. Some from job loss, some from salary reductions, some from medical or other reasons. The problem was that we were coming out of a recession and even though house prices were going up, they hadn't gotten back to their old levels. I would walk into a listing appointment because by the time they called me, selling was their only option. We would walk through the math and all looked good until we read the provision of the DPA program the seller had availed themselves of in the 1990s. In those silent second programs, people were required to live in the house as their primary residence for a particular number of years, usually five to ten years. If we sold and they had not resided in the property for the prescribed number of years, they were on the hook to pay back the DPA funds with interest at close of escrow. 
My worst case was a couple who were six months short of their 10-year requirement, and the government entity would not amend the terms of the silent second DPA or allow monthly payments. So sale of the property was only going to place them in further financial straits. The best answer for them was foreclosure. It would take the lender more than six months to foreclose, so if the family was foreclosed on, they would have their silent second forgiven. That was and is a common scenario. Frequently, foreclosure is the only tool once you get within one year of the occupancy and use requirement. Further out than that, and a significant debt burden is placed on a borrower who is already in financial distress. How long does it take these borrowers to pay back their debt? A long time. And then there are the emotional challenges surrounding borrowing money, buying a house, struggling to pay for the house, losing the house, and coming out with a large mountain of debt you cannot ever afford, all encouraged by a government entity. When I had buyers considering DPA programs, I would ask them to read the actual program terms, not the overview the entity provided, the actual program. We would each read the program, and I would ask them questions about the suitability of the program for them, now and in the future. I asked lots of what-if questions, and we would do the math to determine how much money they needed to put away each month just in case they had to sell the property before the required DPA time was up, so they could at least have some, if not all, of that payback money saved. One program about five years ago included a term that the government entity had the right to monitor the borrower's bank accounts, review the borrower's budget, and tell the borrower what expenses could be incurred. My client, who thought he wanted that DPA program, decided against it when we read the program terms. For some reason, the DPA entity had forgotten to include these terms in their program presentation at the local library. Here's the point. HUD is losing money, and that's not good for taxpayers or the federal budget. As a taxpayer, you should be concerned. DPA programs have strings that can be very harmful to the borrower. As a person, a realtor, a lender, you should be concerned about that. Government lending entities have used DPA programs as moneymakers by their own admission because they know the high default rate, which means payment to them of the funds with interest and fees. You should be concerned about that. Low-income people are not being given tools to help them manage their financial lives. Instead, they're being encouraged to endanger their financial lives, perhaps for more than one generation. As a person, you should be concerned about that. Our government and well-intentioned others actually see encumbering someone's future as a viable alternative to providing people with the tools to help themselves and understand their choices in a rational manner. The fact is, stuff happens in life, and we don't foresee it. The more burdened with debt we are, the fewer choices we have in times of distress. Why would anyone want to limit another person's future by burdening them with so much debt, they cannot take advantage of future opportunities like job transfers, new jobs, personal and financial resources, and a whole host of other opportunities. As Americans, we should be concerned about that. Ask yourself, is DPA the right tool to viable and sustainable home ownership? Perhaps there are other tools that don't include large numbers of homeowners being foreclosed on with enough debt that they may never be homeowners again by choice or by finances. If a borrower can save the amount of DPA payback in their post-home purchase budget, wouldn't they be better off applying that same discipline before the purchase to accumulate the 3.5% down payment?
In the last financial crisis, we saw just this issue. People overburdened with debt having to choose between their future job and finances or being foreclosed on. So as we watch the court case, there are several issues to consider, beginning with the well-being of individuals and taxpayers and extending to the integrity of the government. I'm Liz Reckia. Thanks for joining me today. You can read more about these issues at www.wemargad.org. Don't forget, we have Visit with Legislators scheduled in September, one in Pinal and one in Peoria. Check the GAD events calendar at www.wemargad.org for the legislators we will be visiting with. And if you have questions for the legislators, let me know. Weimar GAD, advocating for private property rights, the right to private contract, and your business. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.